say you do care and you do want to find something renewable or a better offer, you have no negotiating power. We're talking about moving 40,000 households, which means we're able to negotiate better rates and fixed rates. It protects residents and it scales this new industry. This is Energy Cast, and I'm Jay Downhower. Today, we are talking about switching entire communities to 100% renewable energy. It's become quite popular over the past few years. Electric customers who want to support renewable energy can purchase renewable-only energy plans. This is most widely available in so-called deregulated markets, where customers can choose among a large number of electric companies as to whom they purchase their power. I lived in Texas, where this is probably most prominent, and have covered companies like Green Mountain Energy, who provide these green plans. My guest operates in New York City state, which is also deregulated. One of the tools municipal leaders in the Empire State, however, is a function called home rule, where communities, after passing a local law, can blanket switch all their residents to a 100% renewable electricity supply, which can source from a variety of places, such as hydroelectric or solar. My guess says only about 15% of New York households have voluntarily switched from their default utility supplier to a competitive provider. If you've already made your decision, your plan doesn't change. For those who have not, you could be all renewable energy without lifting a finger. You might be thinking two things. Is this reliable and is this more expensive? On the expense question, my guess says they are able to negotiate on behalf of a large number of customers. Playing in these margins usually means lower electric rates, locked in for longer. In 2022, electric rates doubled for many electric customers. For those under this arrangement, their bills stayed the same. On the reliability question, you get a dual benefit, the satisfaction of supporting renewable energy and the dependability of a balanced grid of electrical generation. The electrons powering your home aren't necessarily from a community solar farm or hydroelectric dam, but your money goes directly to purchase renewable energy credits and by extension, the renewable energy generators that produce the juice. My guess says this scheme helps boost the market for more renewable projects. As renewable energy credits grow in demand, this model helps keep existing renewable energy in operation, and so too new community solar farms. My guess says they are currently working with elected officials to contract for the credits before the project has even been built. Will this lead to a saturation of solar New York? Not for a while. Though my guess has locked down nearly a million residents, New York produced less than half a percent of its power from solar. And yet, New York has some of the cleanest power per megawatt hour of any state in the country. Still, it's programs like these and these champions of choice that are creating reliable markets for clean energy. My guest today is Jessica Strombach, CEO of Jewel Assets, manager of Community Choice Programs. Jessica is Swiss by birth, and Jewel also has an arm in Europe helping finance projects there. In New York, where they operate as Jewel Community Power, they have signed up nearly 50 municipalities since their inception in 2021. For this episode, I also took a deep dive into the electric portfolios of each state. What I found is that the, quote, cleanest states get most of their power from hydroelectric. New York gets over half its power 
from nuclear and hydro. I also looked into the most expensive power in the country. New York was on the high end, but you know who was the cheapest? Anyone? My home state of Louisiana. I've put a breakdown on the landing page for this episode in the show notes. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jessica Strombat. Jessica Strombeck, CEO of Jewel Assets. And Jessica, how does a community choice program work? Before I answer that question, I think a good thing to understand is that New York State is a deregulated market. Since 1998, customers have been able to choose their electricity supplier, which we call ESCOs here. The other thing that's different about New York or is important when it comes to community choice is something called home rule, which means New York's constitution states that counties, cities, and towns and villages are general purpose units of local government. They're granted broad home rule powers to regulate the quality of life in communities and to provide direct services to people. In our case, what that means is that a municipality can pass a local law that says they will choose or they will take local energy decisions on the part of their residents. So that often is part of a widely publicly supported shift towards, for example, sustainability targets or carbon targets that the community has taken, right? And as part of that, they pass these local laws that allows them to negotiate better contracts for their residents and then move all those residents onto those electricity supplier renewables contracts in one smooth process that then if residents don't like them, they can, of course, opt out at any time and go back to their normal utility. So they're not required to be on them, but the automatic move is they are on those new contracts. And that is called community choice aggregation. I gotcha. And so I've talked a lot about this. In fact, I had Ohm Connect Energy on recently in Texas. I've had Green Mountain Energy on uh, retail electric providers in Texas. And I lived in Texas for a couple of years. So I've familiarized a lot of our listeners here with how this deregulated market, you choose your electric provider, right? Mm -hmm. The electrons just kind of come from whatever is nearby. But it sounds to me like whereas a Green Mountain Energy allows the individual to choose what retail electric providers provider is available. These communities in New York, you know, you're talking about home rule, if I understand it correctly, will choose a default, if you will, and then each individual household can make a choice after that. Is that the idea? If somebody's chosen, their choice is not overridden by their local government. So if you have acted on that power, right, individually and chosen someone, then that choice sticks. This is for the people who have not taken a choice. So in New York, only about 15 percent of households have taken an active choice, right? And the rest are just on the normal utility. That normal utility is offering them standard power at, you know, a variable rate where there's very little control on the part of residents. What this does is it brings the power closer to home for the people who have not taken a choice for themselves. I understand. And then yeah. setting the stage here, there's another component to all this, something called an opt-out option that I think as we speak, maybe isn't available in New York, but that's also something that is a tool that's been used in this region in the past, right? Can you explain what we're opting out of? Sure. So when your municipality passes the home rule law and chooses the 100% renewable electricity supply offer or whatever offer they choose at a fixed rate for two years, if you like it, you just do nothing and stay on the program. If you don't like it, you opt out. 
That's the opt-out option. And what that does is it's a very, very powerful tool for scaling renewables across the United States of America, because it means that instead of less than 1% of a community making an active choice, because people tend not to make active choices in the energy arena, you now have 85, 90% of a community that are suddenly moved onto these projects. And that creates a huge at-scale uplift for the entire industry. So opt-out is a very, very important tool in the scaling of these new offerings. Yeah. And I think that's good because look, I mean, I'm an energy nerd. I'm assuming you're big into this uh, as yeah. well, right? Yeah. And so, yep. but, but not everyone is. People just kind of go on with their lives. And even in Texas, people were aware that they could switch to their different electric providers, that that was a unique offer that they were given. Yep. But, you know, yep. not everyone really pays as much attention to that. So it's interesting that you just can kind of batch move people on there and then they have the opportunity to stick with it or not. The other thing that's really important in that mix, and I'm agreeing with you, so there's two components. One is the at-scale uptake of renewables and new and existing resources that just really empowers sort of turbocharges the whole industry, right? The other part is it's done in a way that's protective of residents because the municipalities have tremendous purchasing power. So when you as an individual are going and trying to find a contract, say you do care and you do want to find something renewable or a better offer, you have no negotiating power at all with that individual company, of course, because it's one person. We're talking about moving 40,000 households. That's a real negotiating piece, which means we're able to negotiate better rates and fixed rates. So, for example, now in New York, in some places, the electricity prices doubled this last year. Ours did not. They were fixed, which means we've saved our residents over $8 million just in 2022. And they would never have been able to do that for themselves. It protects residents and it scales this new industry. Sure. And look, one of the things that was advertised was you say you can get lower prices for customers by going 100% renewables. And I'm just scratching my head going, mm -hmm. that's what I call too much awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, like there's got to be a catch. I was wondering like, okay, how are you 100% renewable and lower price than the regular portfolio of energy? Two things. First of all, there is a ruling that we're waiting for from the New York commissioner's office that will allow us to do this for new build solar we will be able to move residents onto new build solar where there is a guaranteed saving because you have a five to 10% guaranteed saving on the solar credits. So that will be a guaranteed saving product. The electricity supply is not a guaranteed saving. It is a highly competitive rate where we have price security over a period of time, which in years like this is a tremendous asset, but does not guarantee a saving. What it is, is it's highly competitive with the going rates because we're able to negotiate these larger contracts. The other thing is, is that we are often able to negotiate a renewable contract where you're going 100% renewable for basically the same rate that the utility has for standard power, which is of course not fully renewable. Yeah, it kind of reminds yeah. me of you have a big company that's able to negotiate a lower insurance deal. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then so what's the difference if it's new build, as you say, as opposed to something that's already out there? So when we contract electricity supply now, we are purchasing the credits from existing power plants. That's often hydro. So it's New York Hydro 
that we're buying the renewables credits from. They're called RECs. And that's great because it's really important to support our local industry. But of course, to reach our targets, we need new resources. We're looking to develop within this system, and we're working with the regulators on this, that we can contract directly with generators prior to a generation asset having been built. And that will give them offtake security prior to them putting a single shovel in the ground, right? That's our goal. Like I said, CCA can turbocharge this industry. We want to use CCA to do just that with new projects. Jessica, one of the things I love to talk about on the podcast is the business of energy, right? Getting steel in the ground. And I was interested in how this helps solar developers. And I think you've kind of touched on this a little bit. You're saying these community choice programs help developers with financing. You're basically pre-selling the project, right? Is that the idea? It means that they can have offtake security. And then the other thing is churn security. So of course, when you sell a contract household by household, some people get tired of it or move and don't bring it with them. So you end up just naturally losing residents, losing customers over time. Because we are staying in the community for the duration of the contract, 20 to 25 years, we continue as people move in and out to refresh. That's two levels of security added. One, the offtake set, and then the offtake is guarded and taken care of for the duration. Yeah. The just, other third thing just on money is that there are higher support schemes for projects that are onboarding low-income residents. That's very hard to do one house at a time. It's difficult to send people into those neighborhoods and be successful. There's distrust for very good reasons. But with us, because we have the data and because they can be part of this program, because it's a guaranteed saving, we can automatically unroll those residents and the solar developers automatically get those higher fees. We're hopeful that will come out soon and assuming it's positive, that's what we're going to be doing. Jessica, when I first saw this, when we talk about community solar and everything, I think in the minds they're just thinking there's a solar farm next to the neighborhood. I was mm -hmm. assuming you were building microgrids for these communities. For the people listening at home, you're technically buying solar energy, but it's not necessarily the electrons from solar that are coming to your house. If you're doing a microgrid, that would be yeah, literally that's true. electrons. That's so true. Yeah. Help us understand the difference of what we're doing here versus literally powering homes electron to electron from solar energy. Right. So as soon as you plug in your lamp or your computer, that computer's taking out the electricity that exists in those wires. And that's everything that's pumped in there. What's different is where does your money go? Who are you supporting? With this system, the electricity fees are being sent to the renewables providers, which keeps them in business and means more can be built right? So you're changing the face of the industry through doing that. In a microgrid, it's like you're in your own little universe. It's not attached to anyone else, ideally. And if you had only renewable energy in there, that means literally you would only be using renewable energy. And in this case, that's not the case. Yeah. I think what we're trying to say, okay. you're creating the market for it. Just the website describes your services shifting New York's energy dependency from a utility controlled fossil fuel model. What do we mean by that? Because it sounds almost like it's in opposition to Con Ed and National Grid and what they're doing. Is it in opposition to that? No, but it is offering a choice. 
So the utilities obviously provide a really important service, network upgrades, billing, all the rest of it. And that's a very, very important role and stays there. One of the things that's great about home rule is being able to bring some choice to the local community that really empowers that community because we provide education. You're talking about microgrids where we can also help them develop local projects, local be it battery, renewables, whatever. And it really empowers that community and empowers those people to take control of their energy future themselves. Now, by necessity, that means that Con Ed's not doing it. But that doesn't mean Con Ed's doing a bad job. It just means this is another option for those communities. Again, creates this cycle where it's a positive experience. They're really able to act on their own decision making. They're really able to do something for their full range of residents that then leads to even more outcomes. And that's what we're excited about when it comes to bringing the decision making power home. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything that these utilities could be doing that in maybe dual assets view they're not? <laughs> well, We've been having, yes. <laughs> so in New York State, everybody here will know this. I'm not giving news, but there have been some challenges. For example, the solar projects that are being integrated, CCA, the utilities are having real challenges upgrading their billing systems. There's been billing issues just across the board, which have penalized residents, not only ours, but just everyone. Anytime they take a choice for their own part because the billing systems on the utilities haven't been up to servicing them. That is obviously something I think we'd all agree they should be improving. Another thing is also we've had an unnecessary amount of network issues. So the networks need further updating further investment, et cetera, to be able to enable the opportunities around new build generation units, be they solar or otherwise, but also to lower the amount of hours that the grid is down per year. Because if you live in some areas in New York State right now, you might have several days a year where you don't have power, which really impacts local business and the rest of it. So those would be two areas I'd say they could improve. But yeah, that has nothing to do with CCA. It's just, this is your job. Go ahead and do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I think this idea that you always hear stories about California is like, we had days without power. You know, for a lot of us who live in other parts of the country, that is wildly foreign to us. Well, it um, can happen here too. And if it's in the middle of winter and minus degrees, that's a real thing. Yeah, I don't consider myself a huge expert on just being able to rattle off statistics. I kind of leave that for the guests. And okay. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I wanted to do, I took some time and did a deep dive on the state electric profiles. And I shared this with you yeah. and your team and wanted to do a little bit of a deep dive about maybe what this says about all the different states around the country. And okay, mm -hmm. so first of all, New York, probably not a big surprise to a lot of people, has higher than normal electric rates around the country. I think it came in ninth out of 51 including DC. So mm -hmm. it sounds to me like there might be room for improvement there. You think? I'm sure, because there always is. I think one of the challenges in New York, and I'd have to break, one of the things that's really important when you're looking at an electricity price is what's taxes, what's network fees, and what's electricity costs. So my understanding is that the New York energy cost is competitive. It's more when you get to the network fees, distribution fees, et cetera, that that component's decently high. And I'm not sure about the taxes piece, how high that is. But my guess is, is one of the challenges in New York 
is you always think of the city, but actually the state is huge. Not as big as Texas, that's for sure, but big. And the networks to service all these very, very spread out small communities tends to drive up the cost, as do the capacity issues, et cetera, around servicing everyone. So yes, I'm sure there's room for improvement because there always is, but I think New York, like Hawaii and Alaska, are also very expensive. Same kind of deal, that you've got a big network. It has to cover a lot of very distributed communities, and it just adds to the cost. That's my guess, but I might be wrong about that, but that's how I see it. Just kind of the wheeling fees, I think, as they call it. We've talked about price. We've talked about reliability. Let's talk about carbon footprint, right? So one of the cool things that I looked at and saw and I think would surprise a lot of people is that New York has basically the eighth lowest carbon emissions per megawatt hour. Now, a tiny little state is not going to produce a whole lot of CO2, but it might produce a lot of CO2 for the electricity it produces. So levelizing that out, here's the order in the cleanest states in the country. Number one, Vermont, Washington, New Hampshire, Idaho, Oregon, South Dakota, and Maine. And really what is the common DNA there is most of those Mm -hmm. states have a huge amount of hydroelectric on their system. Yeah. And with the exception of, I think, New Hampshire. And New York comes after Maine. They're number eight. But New York also has hidden in there, even though DOE site says that New York predominantly gets most of their power from natural gas, there is a huge number two and number three. And those are hydroelectric and nuclear. And they together, Jessica, make up about 50% of the actual power generation in New York. So that's a pretty impressive story. It is a very impressive story. And I think the thing is, is what we need to work toward is how do we enable those states that don't have the benefit of a massive amount of hydro to lower their carbon emissions? And I know you look at a lot of different types of generation resources in your podcasts and people tend to not want to have natural gas or nuclear, but I don't think we can ignore them. And whether we want them or not, I think we have to talk particularly about nuclear. If we're going to decarbonize this entire system and there's a bunch of states without access to hydro at scale, wind and solar will get you very far. I'm not sure they get you the whole way there. Yeah, and I appreciate you giving a little lip service to the other ones. You know, I always feel like sometimes when we have guests on, it's like, I'm the solar person, so I can't like- So I hate everything else. (laughs) Yeah, and I should just say, in saying that I'm not representing my company, this is a personal point of view, but my personal point of view is that we have a real issue with climate change. My family lives on the coast and my parents no longer need to water their lawn because of how often it floods. So you think it hasn't rained now in Massachusetts for two months. It's green. It's still green. For me, this is like, could we just take down the carbon emissions and get real and prioritize that? Right. So I'm very agnostic. If it works, let's do it. Yeah. Getting back to solar and look, New York, the penetration of solar at this point is pretty low. It's about 1% or so. Nationwide, it's about 4%. Now this is actual generation. But 10 years ago in the United States, solar was 0.1%. It was basically zero. But for all those states that aren't blessed with hydroelectric potential, the problem that you come up with is that you got to back up solar, you got to back up wind. Any thoughts on ways to increase the solar wind in the portfolio, these inter minute renewable energies without natural gas to back it up, because then you're going to introduce a carbon component for almost every megawatt hour that you produce of renewables, right? 
yes, I think you know where I'll go. I mean, the two ways to do that without adding a carbon component are batteries and a really beefed up interconnection system. Because if you have good enough transmission system lines and distribution system lines, you can expand the footprint wide enough to mitigate, for example, wind being down in a particular state. And you can balance that out there. A really interesting example is Germany. Germany has a lot of wind and a lot of solar and their network is now almost impossible to manage. What they do is they are looking to upgrade the transmission system lines from one portion of the country to the next portion of the country and even outside of the country. And when you see those maps, that really takes care of a big part of the issue. And I don't think we should ignore it. But beyond that, local batteries is another way to go. And if you can't do that, you end up needing to go back to fast acting coal or fast acting diesel. And we really need to try and minimize those because otherwise we undermine the climate benefits of the investment we're making. That's interesting. You know, you're the first guest in 147 episodes that's discussed using transmission as a way to level out the grid, especially when it comes to renewables. It's powerful. Right. I worked in transmission and never even considered that. that. Yeah. So I'm actually European and I used to work in Europe, right? I did very similar work in Europe. And when you are, for example, Germany has now a genuinely high percentage of its power coming from wind and solar, which of course are very intermittent. You really start to see the maps and what it's doing and that's how they're dealing with it. And if you do that, you can really mitigate a lot. You could do a whole program on that if you wanted a really interesting program. Absolutely. We're from Europe. I'm trying to pinpoint the accent. I was born in Switzerland and then bumped around Europe for ages. So I've lived in Finland, Belgium, Switzerland, and Italy. That's why there's no accent. Okay, got it. That's why I'm just genuinely (laughs) confused at this point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's right. So just kind of wrapping up, Jewel Assets, you guys are global as well. You also have a European arm. I believe you're trying to do some interesting things to help finance projects over there, are you not? That's correct. In Europe, we have a platform and a set of support systems and network that we take small to medium-sized energy efficiency and renewables projects and then hook them up with financial funds and get them funded. So Jessica, in summary, it looks to me like you've developed a lot of interesting tools to get both customers into solar who wouldn't think to do that, but definitely might be champions of this stuff. And then also some interesting tools to get the physical projects out in the field. Any other thoughts on ways that you can help expedite a lot more of these projects getting out into the field? Because look, what I've seen is that as far as solar development goes, I mean, you're going into a lot of communities. A lot of these deals are very rich for the landowners, tax revenues for these communities and everything. So it's a net benefit building these projects to the people where they're actually located. So more of that, right? So Jewel currently has 49 municipalities and about 900,000 people that are covered by those municipalities. And that's an excellent footprint. We have been working with regional projects and signing people up to whoever's in the region. We are looking to help those municipalities actually build projects locally. In that, we look to ensure that some of the investment goes back into the community, partially by having that community benefit through the solar credits, but even through job development, longer term investments in the community with the federal funding coming through. You can really encourage local groups to start and own 
their own projects that are then developed by solar developers. From Jewel's side, that's one of the areas that we're expanding into. And then we're also looking to expand out of New York State. So this is an opportunity that you could do across the U.S. We have three states where we're now piloting these services and we're intending to expand this way because, of course, this is very empowering for the industry and it doesn't only work in New York. It could work in many states in the U.S. All right, Jessica, I'm going to finish with a lightning round of your thoughts on different energy technologies. I think I heard a few of them, so I'm excited to see where this goes, starting with natural gas. Good transition. Crude oil. Try and get away. Nuclear. We need it. Coal, but coal with carbon capture. The thing with coal is that it's cheap. If you take away the cheapness, sure, but then just do natural gas. Wind. Definitely, and use the transmission system grid to balance it. Solar. Definitely the wave of the future. Biofuels. Very good idea. Just be careful what the fuel is. Hydroelectric. Go for it. Geothermal. Same, should be expanded. Energy storage. Good for balancing, necessary to have. Energy efficiency. Should be the first energy. And then finally, fusion power. I hope so. All right, Jessica Strombeck, Jewel Assets, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. And thank you for having me. That was Jessica Strombeck, CEO of Jewel Assets, a community choice aggregator based in New York. I want to thank Jessica for his time, as well as Stephanie Burgos-Veras for setting this up. Again, you can see how your state breaks down in its energy usage, carbon intensity, and prices on the links at the bottom of the page of this show, as well as plenty of pictures on energy-cast.com. We're also on Instagram at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the wrong completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 147. Be sure to join us next week when we explore how an industrial heat battery can level out the grid and create a bigger market for intermittent renewables. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time.